I'm Sherry Dunleavy, your inspirationista, host, and a grieving mom. Welcome to the Grief Anonymous podcast. Grief is a journey, and I'm 20 years into mine. No matter where you are in yours, I hope you'll join me as I provide you with information, tools, and experts to help guide you through the darkness of death into the light of living. Help is on the way. I'm so excited today to talk with Father Nathan Castle, who is um, the author of Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Cross Over. A Catholic Priest Explores the Interrupted Death Experience. I'm captivated by that title. I'm captivated by what you do. So welcome, Father Nathan. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's good to be with you. So let's just start with what is... Stop, what are stuck souls and what is an interrupted death experience? All right. Well, um, if you're, you and your listeners, viewers are, are familiar with the near-death experience, that uh, it's pretty commonplace. People are, you know, it's, it's the near-death experience, that term was created by Raymond Moody in about 1975. Uh, he pulled together all this anecdotal evidence that people had of being conscious outside their body during a trauma, you know, a heart attack or something where their body, where they moved out of their body for a time, hovered near it. So uh, th th there's a lot of available material, written material on that. But in, in, there's a common thread to a lot of those stories where people first experience being out of body, realize that they weren't in their body. Uh, they maybe moved through a tunnel toward an attractive light Sometimes they encountered loved ones who were deceased. Sometimes there was a conversation. Other times they were uh, told they reached a certain point where they either keep going or turn back, or sometimes they're turned back against their will and told it's not your time. Uh, that whole genre is, is uh, pretty well developed. Well, what, what happens to my people is they didn't just nearly die, they actually died, but they didn't move through that sequence of events that seems to be part of the process of dying. And it was interrupted or, or short-circuited in some way. Uh, all of my people are uh, people who died because of sudden trauma. So just as you and I and anyone watching or listening is alert and conscious right now, for some people they go from this state to, to being out of body and dying. And for some, it's just too uh, abrupt, and they are not ready to do that process. Okay, so near-death experience is near-death. Yes. You're dealing with people fully dead. People who died. I don't really say dead because we okay. keep living after we die. Okay. So, and when you talk to people who have died, you don't call them dead because you're, you're in a conversation with them. They have died, but they, uh, they're they not dead. They're no longer on our physical plane. Yeah, they're not on this plane. They're, uh, they've are they gone on or something. So of course, I've got to ask the question is, how are you communicating with these people? How are they finding you? Uh, it started for me about 22 years ago. Well, I, actually all the way back to childhood in one way or another, but in that, this specific work that I described in my book, started about 22 years ago when I was on a retreat. I've had the custom all my life of praying before sleep 
My mom taught me that as a little Catholic kid. Part of my prayers were for people who had died. We said blessings for the living, those who lived in my house, my brothers and sisters, my cousins in the next state over, Louisiana. I learned that you could pray for people local, people that were not local, and for people that weren't even on the earth anymore. And of course, when you're talking to God or any of the saints, especially the saints, they're humans who have died, but now live in another way. But they don't have to live just in a foreign place because heaven isn't just, it's not Ecuador. It's, it's, it's both here and not yet. That right. uh, It's in our midst. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. May the two merge. And if, right. if that prayer has ever been answered, they have at least some. Anyway, the, the, uh, the, the, I was asleep. Someone came to me in a dream um, and showed me his violent death. I felt like I was uh, alerted. I've, as a priest, I've had to take my turn having a pager on the nightstand in case there's an emergency call at the hospital mm-hmm. and people want a priest right now. Well, it, it felt like that, like I was being called out of my sleep to help somebody, but it wasn't a phone call. It was interior. And so did you realize what was happening and how did you answer that call? Well, um, let me describe it a bit. I was, I was having a regular dream about finishing a round of golf, being going into the 19th hole, the bar with a priest friend that I was playing with. And we, we happened upon a silent auction in this, uh, in this clubhouse. And that's, I've I've run nonprofits most of my life. Silent auctions, fundraising is just part of the whole package. So that was my dream. And then I I looked across the room and on the wall, it was before we had televisions that were hanging on walls, but it was like that. There was this nasty piece of framed art. I just looked at it and said to my friend, who in the world would donate that to a charity? It's horrific. But it was so attractive in the way that we slow down when we see wrecks on the highway. we just can't stop ourselves from wanting to see what happened. Uh, anyway, I moved toward it, even though I knew it was awful. It moved toward me and met me halfway. And then inside this picture frame, everything began to play like a film. It was a story of a man uh, who was seated on a radiator of a car from the late 50s, the kind with fins and lots of chrome. It's an odd thing. I've never sat on a radiator with my feet on a bumper facing away from a vehicle with the hood open, but that's what I was seeing. And he burst into flames. It was, he wasn't in a car crash. He was like a mechanic sitting on a radiator in, with a hood open and he burst into flames and was screaming. And I woke up. Can you get the distinction between one is like your normal dreamscape and then the other one is just so unlike it, both in the same place? So what do you- um, What'd you do with that? Well, I sat up and I felt right away that I, it, that I was what I now call a contact dream. Mm-hmm. Somebody was in my stream of consciousness trying to get my attention. And I knew from the, the mystical tradition of the Catholic Church, at least, of which I'm a member and a priest, that, um, that, that there have been plenty of times in history where people have called out from the afterlife asking for help for prayer or something so anyway i i quickly uh, wrote it down wrote down what i saw 
um, I said a prayer and I said, whoever you are, I, I got what you sent. At least I, I think I did. I'll, 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 uh, I'll help you in the morning. I'll figure it out. We'll work on it, whatever it is. And it felt like a counseling thing. You know, when, when you're a, 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 in the clergy, you're kind of paraprofessional counselor, even if you aren't really well-schooled in it, you, you, we're sort of a, a place where people can come, come and talk about their troubles. And so I'm, I'm used to dealing with people kind of just bringing me whatever their business is. And so that's what it felt like. So what did this soul want? Uh, that, that was exactly the right question to ask. I thought, <laughs> doesn't that just make sense? Yeah. How can I help you? Anybody in customer service, that's the first question to ask. What can I do for you? How yeah. can I help? Well, I got with a prayer partner who was, we were on a retreat and, um, I, I knew that my prayer partner was a woman of great faith and who had unusual, even mystical gifts of her own. And I thought, and we had prayed together. Uh, on occasion for different things. And so I said, would you mind praying with me? Something happened in the night and I, I think you could help with it. So we went into prayer, I explained it to her as I just did to you and your viewers and listeners. And we got it, we went into prayer and we know how to protect ourselves in prayer. We go to St. Michael the Archangel first and ask that the space be kept safe from any who would try to harm us. Uh, Mary, the mother of, of Jesus, uh, a lot of different saints, St. Dominic, because he's the patron of my order. So I surround myself with holy uh, protectors and then move into uh, this, this space. She said to me, uh, well, whoever this guy is, he really wants to talk to you. Would it be okay if I let him? And she had the facility to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, do you do that? And I said, well, I'm, I'm doing nothing but trying to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. I'm not dabbling in things. There's this, uh, in Psalm 131, there's a line that says, I have not gone after things too great nor marvels beyond me. I'm not looking for spooky things and trying to be some sort of odd mystic something. Um, I'm just being myself, being a priest, and this, is, this has come up. So, okay, sure, go ahead. We, we protected ourselves. So out of her mouth come the words, who the hell does he think he is uh, taking me just when my life's getting good? Hmm. So I introduced myself and said, hi, I'm Nathan. Uh, you came to me in a dream last night and you showed me this scene of being on the hood of a car. And did I get that right? And he said, yeah, that's how I died. So I said, okay, well, how can we help you? And he said, my wife, my wife. He had died in 1960 when I was four years old. And now it was around 1998 or nine, something along. And he said, my wife, she's grown old. She married again. Uh, she's moved to South Carolina. She married up. He was a, 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 a little mechanic, a 20 year old mechanic. And he married a lawyer or she married a lawyer after he died. He, so she married up. Uh, but now she has cancer and she's dying and I want to greet her when she passes, but I can't the way I am. I said, Oh, well then we're going to need to figure out what that means. What's preventing you from doing the thing you want to do, which is often why counselors, counselees seek counsel. They can't figure out how to get to this thing that they, the state that they want to be. Um, 
So, so it was just a council. So he wanted counsel on how to move into heaven. He well, well, he didn't say that, but he he wanted to be able to greet his wife when she died. I said, well, let's figure out what might be preventing that. Mm -hmm. And at least you know there is a God. Not everybody's clear on that. You know, now that you survived your death, a lot of people aren't clear on that either. Are, do we, are we good on both of those? There is a God and you survived your death. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, okay, well, good. Now, you started with uh, who the hell does he think he is taking me? I said, do you think that God takes you, that God, God burned you to death in a fire? And he said, well, that yeah, God took me. And I said, well, how did you learn that? Who taught you that? Um, uh, well, I said, first of all, how did you even know there was a God? And he said, my mom, she used to make me kneel next to my bed and she beat me while I said my prayers. I said, beat you? Why in the world would she do that? And he said, I don't know. She just did. And I said, well, you had a child. You, your child was only a year and a half old when you died. Uh, had you been around longer, would you have beaten your son while he said prayers? And he said, of course not. And I said, well, maybe, can you, can, can you imagine that maybe you learned a weird thing or two from about God from a mom who beat you while you prayed. Well, he didn't like the idea of that because he was going to have to change something in the way he thought. And people don't like that. <laughs> They'd rather stay no. the way they are uh, uh, than change. And they'll, they'll resist you when you, when they'll come in for a counseling and you suggest something, no, that won't work. I tried that already. Or that you just get used to that. People resist change, even if it's good for them. So he was resistant, but I just said, well, you remember, you don't have to cooperate with me. You're the one who sought me out. And if, if at any point you don't like what we're doing, you don't have to keep doing it, you know, right. but, but by the way, you said your wife has cancer and you haven't done anything for about 40 years to, <laughs> from the way it sounds. He had nothing to show for it. Just like sitting around. And I said, you're not going to, cancer's got its own schedule and it's not going to wait on you. Uh, if, if you want me to, to help you be ready, you're, I'm going to need to work you hard and fast, and you're probably not going to like it. Well, he, he moaned and, and grumbled, but he participated. Mm -hmm. So we worked through some stuff. You know, uh, God doesn't, who taught you that God takes people, that that's why they die, that God is this body snatcher, somebody that burns you to death on the hood of a car. Well, uh, past my, I can't remember his pastor's name. It was a man's first name. Um, pastor Joe. Well, who, who is he? Mm -hmm. Well, he was my pastor. And I said, well, did you know, I'm a pastor too. I am a Catholic priest. And then he said, Oh shit. And yeah. a Catholic priest. <laughs> he, was, he was from backwoods, Georgia. And, and apparently he had been taught that we were, you know, yeah. I grew up in the, I grew up in the Catholic South. I heard lots of stuff about us being the Satan. We're not the Christians. <laughs> <laughs> not Christian and the Pope is the Antichrist and all this different stuff. Anyway, he, he came from that kind of background. So I just said, well, you know, uh, m m did anybody ever say anything about you that wasn't true that they thought it was? Well, sure. I said, well, then do the math. You're small. God's huge. If that happens to you, it happens to God on a huge scale. People are saying untrue things about God all the time. Yeah. God's used to it, you know, uh, would you be willing to to consider that maybe you got some wrong information passed along? That maybe people just die and it's nobody's fault. You don't have to blame God or blame anybody. Everybody that you know is mortal. It hurts when we lose people. And I understand that this podcast is is about grief and it's it it hurts like hell. It but are you gonna just not love? 
Are you going to go through life not loving so that you don't get your heart broken when somebody you love dies? That's not a very good option. It's not a good option. So I'm assuming that you, you helped this man uh, get to where he wanted to go. Yeah, and well, we, it took us a few sessions because we were just new at this, figuring out how to do it. But and uh, but we just all it was was common sense and and compassion, and and helping him kind of untangle things. And uh, he hadn't been with anybody since he died in 1960 by because of his own choice. And he said, "Well, it seems it'd be, it'd be well, if." We we ought to get you in circulation somehow, and make make sure that you you at least know how to be with somebody before you jump toward your wife. Uh, uh, I thought of his mother, but then nixed that because she beat him when he prayed. I said, "What about your dad? You never talk about your dad." Uh, well, uh, he died when I was ten. I hardly even knew him. I was sort of afraid of him. He died in the war. I said Vietnam. He said no Korea. I said, "Oh sure, in 1960." So anyway, I said, "Well, what if what if it worked this way? What if we asked your dad to come for you?" Uh, and you could visit, and it gets you moving a little bit. Would would that be too scary? And he said, "Would it? Well, would it work?" And I said, "Well, we all, we'll only know if we try." Um, but would you be afraid of him? Well, no, I don't think so. I'm, and I said, "Well, I think could you make sort of draw a line wherever you are uh, to let him come close enough, but not too close, or something like that?" So he said, "Sure, I could do that." So I said, "Well, I'm just going to say a little prayer," and I didn't make a great big deal out of it. I just said, "God." Uh, his name is Ray. Ray would like to see his dad if his dad's available. Would that be okay? And we just sat still and he said, oh my God, look over there. And I said, I can't see what you're seeing. You're going to have to describe it. It's my dad. And I said, well, does he look scary? No, he looks like my dad. I said, well, do you think you're being tricked? No. I said, well, would you be willing to go with him for a walk or something just so you get out of your Mm -hmm. stuck place? And he said, well, I guess so. And I said, well, then I think we're going to leave you guys alone. We'll, we'll meet up in a few days and see how things went. So that's why we left it. When we got back a few days later, uh, said, well, what did you guys do? He said, well, I, I, I'd ask him earlier. I said, did you ever have a good moment uh, with your dad? You know, you're, he was, you were 10 when he died, but did you have a happy moment? And he said, yeah, once we went and looked at cars. That's what he remembered. And he was a car guy. He, you know, he had an auto repair shop. I said, so I, I, when we met up the second time, I said, well, what'd you guys do? And he said, well, we went and looked at cars. And I said, well, how'd you do that? He died in 1952 and you died in 1960. Did you have to time travel to, to one of those places? And no, 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 we went and looked at the new ones. <laughs> so it could have been in West Virginia where you are. Yeah. Somewhere, on, somewhere on God's green earth, a couple of spirit men got together to look at cars. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that sound like a guy thing to you? Yes, it does. Very much so. So that helped him. And so at the end of all of this, he was there on the welcoming committee, correct? Uh, the, the thing that I said, you know, Ray, I think I know what the problem is and you're not gonna like it. Are you ready to hear it? He said, sure. I said, I think you're a caveman. Every time you talk about your wife, you act like if you did get to be with her when she crosses, you grab her by the hair and pull her into your cave. You always, every time you talk about her, it's like you own the lady. Well, you only were married to her for a year and a half, and then she was married to somebody else for a long time, and now she's in her 60s, and I don't think you're going to be the only one that wants to greet her. I think you're going to be in a group. Can you just humble yourself a little bit, calm down, and not presume that you're the whole show? Well, he didn't like it. He grumbled, but I said, doesn't that make sense to you? 
you know, she had parents and maybe siblings and people she loved even after you died that you never even met. Don't you think that, that there'd be more than one person who'd like to see her when she crosses? But you, she only married twice and you're the only dead husband. She only had one child and it was with you. You belong there, don't you think? Mm -mm, makes sense. I said, I just think you need to be a gentleman. Yeah. Stop being such a care man. <laughs> just yeah. be a gentleman. Well, he grumbled about that, but then we left it. And uh, next time we got together, and I got another few days passed. Uh, we were busy people. And we, you know, just the fact that this was all going on didn't mean our lives ground to a halt. We all were, you know, we were working on it. Anyway, we, uh, we met up with him again and he and said, how's it going, Ray? And he said, big news, my wife passed. I said, oh, tell us about that. And he said, um, well, it was just like you said. There was other people too, but I, I did just what you said. You'd have been proud of me. I was a perfect gentleman. And I said, well, that's really sweet. I knew you had it in you. You got to do the thing that you wanted to do. We got to help you do the thing you wanted to do. And now you, now you know how to greet somebody when they die. So I said, I think our work here is done, don't you think? And he said, yes, sir. I said, well, uh, then before you go, now that you're an afterlife greeter, I wonder if you would keep an eye on me the way you did your wife. And would you watch when it's coming close to my turn to pass? Would you mind being part of the welcoming party? And he said, why, sir? I would be most honored. Oh. Just look for the perfect gentleman. <laughs> Just look for the perfect gentleman. So I, in the story, I called him Ray, the perfect gentleman. And I have a little devotion to Ray. I talk to him once in a while just to say, hey, when I'm, in, when I'm praying uh -huh. and wish him well or, you know, you know, you know just a little, a little grace note. So, that's, so that's he was my first. So, so how many since then? Are there too many to count? How since then, but he was the first one. So, so let me ask you a little bit about this. Um, between three and four hundred. Yeah. Between three and four, you've been a very busy guy. <laughs> yeah, they come about once a week. Is it always? And I have different prayer partners. And now during the time of COVID, you and I are doing this via Zoom. And we do a lot of these on Zoom calls. Okay. Right now, because it's just not possible to be together safely. So they're still coming to you via a dream? Yes. Okay. About and, once a week. And so you, are these all people that have died suddenly? Are most of them because they've died suddenly? Because they've died yeah, violently? Like I have a little clientele that mine almost all died sudden violent deaths. Once in a while, I get somebody who had a life event that sort of killed their soul, you know, uh -huh. broke their heart. Uh, once in a while, a person has an experience where it changes their life in a way that really um, diminishes it. And then they live that way until they die. Once in a way, I, I, while I get one of those, but not too often. Most of the time, a lot of car crashes, a lot of shootings, stabbings, drownings, um, they're 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 buffered so that even though I'm seeing these scenes, I don't wake up screaming. The Holy Spirit doesn't terrorize me in my sleep. Uh, and people people are taught how to come into my dream and present the material, and they know better than to be um, over the top about it, even if the event was horrible. Mm -hmm. They can still get the basics of it across without being uh, overly graphic. And are they all asking the same thing? 
No, Ray was very specific about wanting to greet his wife. I haven't had that happen ever since. Really? Most of the time they've been um, in some sort of a, an afterlife healthcare continuum. There are, there are people that, that died traumatically. Had they, had they, for people that might've been in the same accident, had they lived longer, they, they would have been, sometimes they were cared for at the scene of an accident by skilled people, but they died. Well, there seems to be, there's a continuum that if you need trauma help as you move from this life to the next, the, the next life has something like that all organized. And sometimes, you know how in the Catholic church, there's uh, the, a person who loved teaching becomes the patron of teachers. Mm -hmm. A person who loved farming becomes the patron of farmers. Lots of times people have something in their heart that they have a passion for that doesn't disappear at the time of their death. And there are a lot of people who are caring professionals, healthcare workers, uh, social workers of different kinds that help people improve their life that appear to do that as part of their afterlife because they love it and they're good at it and there's a need for it. So he, a lot of times the people I work with, I feel like the discharge nurse at the end of the process, the people I'm working with are this close to being ready to move on because they've already benefited as much as they can on this first plane that they were on. They didn't really finish crossing My prayer partners and I just help do the finish. So do all of these people believe in God? Not always. They at least have to acknowledge that they now believe in life after death. And sometimes I have to make sure they understand that. Are you clear on the fact that you died and that you're living after you died? And they all say yes to that. That I mean it's abundantly clear. They don't always, they're not always religious people. And I say, well, you know, Jesus wasn't that religious. He wasn't even welcomed in his own synagogue. He was thrown out of it in the early chapters of all the gospels. He, he wasn't welcome at the temple either. In fact, one day he trashed it. Uh, right. he, he hung around in the marketplaces. He gathered where people were. Um, it doesn't all have to be religion all the time. And even for those of us that practice our faith, it's not like it's the only thing I'm interested in. I have a lot of interests that are not hymn singing or Bible study. <laughs> right. I, most of us have lives that are full of lots of things. So doing this work, work that sought you out, you know, yes. not work that you sought, what can you leave us with? What kind of hope and encouragement is your work offering us, someone who's grieving, and especially someone who's grieving someone who died suddenly or traumatically? Well, I think it's important at the outset that anybody that's in uh, fields related to grief and grief support, you can't take somebody's grief away. No. You can't heal them because you want them to be healed, you know? You can accompany them. You can love them. You can, uh, you can encourage. Sometimes you can give people a new way of thinking about a thing, but they still have to try it on and decide whether or not they want to think that way. Um, I, I just try to, I, I, it's the reason I've written my book and I have a second one coming, of case story studies of people where the worst came to the worst. They were in a horrific head-on collision or 
somebody shot them or what they're they this one gal died in that tsunami that huge one you remember years ago yes, when yes they killed like two hundred fifty thousand people this little girl died in it and i helped her um some of this stuff you just think it's so tragic but actually ronnie was her name and she uh she said i want people to know that even if your life if your death comes in a way that seems colossally tragic you simply move on you step out of it as you step out of dirty clothes and you go on. And it's not about religion necessarily, uh, because uh, the one who created all of us knows that there are lots of different religions and people who aren't interested in them at all. It's really not about that. It's, we all just go on. Uh, so I, 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 you know, I've suffered losses in my life. And one of the ways that I've uh, comforted myself was that my friends and loved ones are still alive. They're, they don't have to be far away. Uh, that's, that's a construct that mm -hmm. I won't allow. Uh, I'm, I'm, I talk to my parents regularly. I have, I'm, I'm 64 years old. I have more and more friends who have died uh, and family members. Um, I just talk to them and I know they hear me. I could say that to your your folk. You don't have to be a, a professional prayer. You can form an intention uh, that's a, that's from your heart. Um, I like the way that Catholics do it. We make the sign of the cross. We bless our mind, our heart, and our body. Bring our whole self into it, and say, "I'd like to talk to my loved one." Um, my mom taught me. I loved pirates when I was a little kid. The way some kids love dinosaurs, I love pirates, and she knew that. And so she taught me when I make the sign of the cross, which any Christian can do. You don't have to be a Catholic to do that. It's just the cross of Christ. Right. And she said, what letter does that make? And I said, well, it makes an X. And she said, uh, don't the pirates have maps that have X's on them? And I, and, and I said, yeah, they do. And, and she said, well, what does the X mean? And it's, well, it's the spot where the treasure's buried. And she said, well, that's exactly right. There, there's a treasure, it's inside you. It's buried inside you. That's why you can't see it. But you, you, you might make the X and then you knock and say, God, I know you're in there. I want to talk to you. Then say what you need to say. And she also taught me that my eyes were round. When, you, when your eyes are open, you see out the front. And when they're closed, you see out the back. You uh -huh. see outside when your eyes are open. You see inside when they're closed. That's and a very wise woman. She's a, I, I was I was really and then both of my dad's only two sisters were first grade Dominican teachers. And so I was surrounded by a lot of wisdom as a really young child, young little Catholic child. So I, were, I was taught this whole coherent view of the world. And we we prayed for people that died. And in the book, um, I prayed for the souls in purgatory, which some of your listeners might not believe in, but some sort of in between heaven and hell state where we help each other out by praying for them. And I was a very busy little kid going to sleep. I would pray going to sleep for whoever died that day because I knew in the paper there was a whole page of people's pictures where, you know, and I figured they must be in some sort of line like at the bank. You know, when you go to the bank, you have those zigzaggy yeah. rope things that make you wait your turn. And I just thought it must be like that. And then, and then we were taught that if you prayed for people, you kind of got them to speed up in the line or whatever, you got them into heaven faster, something like that. And I, and then I, I knew that the, the Baptists didn't pray that way. And so I prayed for the Baptists. <laughs> we were surrounded by Baptists. <laughs> My piano teacher was a Baptist and she died. So I prayed for her because I knew her family wouldn't. 
Uh, and I was just really this busy little kid praying for the dead really, really young. And then later in my life, it turned into this whole thing. That's probably why they contact you now. Maybe. I, I, was, I was grooved early that part of, part of caring for the kingdom of God is making sure that everybody uh, that, that, that uh, wants to take part gets to. So what kind of lesson have you taken uh, for living through this kind of work? Um, the book that I'm about, that I'm, I'm hoping to release a book in the fall, I'm trying to take stories and have some of the people that I've dealt with tell us in their own words, what, what, what advice would you give us? One guy recently said, whatever you need to do, just do it. He, um, he, had, a, he had a hole in his heart because he, he knew he was involved in a, um, a work stoppage, a strike, and he knew that there was going to be violence but he didn't tell anybody and the violence killed innocent people. And he went to his grave with that. And he kind of shut down inside because he, he just felt he was a, a part, of, he, he had a degraded life after that. And he said, you know, I could have done this earlier. I could have just told myself the truth and faced it, but I waited until after I died to do it. So what I would just say is, if you have something to do, do it. So. Oh, wow. If your conscience, if your heart of hearts is saying, I really need to stop drinking, well, then stop. Or I really need to forgive the person who killed my child. Well, if you can't feel like you can do it in one fell swoop, well, then make one step. Uh, if you can't want it, can you want to want it? If you can't want to want it, can you want to want to want to want it? <laughs> can you do something to get unstuck, to get moving, uh, or get help to get moving? Uh, that'd be one thing, uh, do it, whatever it is. That's that one I just dealt with this week. That's why it's on my mind. Do they have any, anyone, anything that they want to tell their loved ones? Um, have they ever asked you to relay messages to loved ones? They, I've made it known that I don't believe that's my, uh, calling. So I wouldn't want people that listen to this show to want to go on my website, hoping that I will, you know, connect, yeah. connect with their dip child or something like that. I just, I don't feel like that's my job. There might be legitimate folk doing that. In fact, I've done a little bit of it and found that it doesn't bring the comfort that you think it might. So what can we do now? What can we do now living to have to keep from contacting you once we've crossed over? Yeah. I, what I try to do is I don't want to be some sort of Oracle or, or, um, medium that you come to to buy a service or something. I just don't want to do that. I'd rather teach you to talk to your own loved ones and at least learn to be, um, you, all, everybody can send. The trickier part is receiving. Right. You've lost a child, you know, you, right. uh, you, you've prayed toward your child. Have you not speak to them? Oh, yes. Done? Yeah, I speak to my child. I feel like a lot of what I do, I co-create with him. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, you could probably write that book. Have you Have you written that book already? What? The, I wrote. <laughs> yeah, I've, the, the I've written my book, book. That you're asking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. I'm writing. I'm going to be writing another Don't one. Yeah I, yeah, I feel like the work that I do is co-creating with him. But you know, the funny thing yeah. is, is that I never prayed for his soul, um, because. I just believed he was innocent and already there. Yeah. 
Well, it's, to me, it isn't just about uh, good and evil, crime and punishment. Those things don't apply to a little child. Yours was right. a month old or something. Uh, but I don't really pray about those things. I just pray for the whatever the growth edge. You know how when you look at a plant, sometimes a plant is putting all of its energy into this one bud. You know, mm -hmm. or you can see that it has just one branch where all of the good seems to be right. going. Growth is. I think of it kind of like that, and I think. I don't know what you need, but I want you to have what you need. And I believe that my, my prayer of concern for you can supply loving raw material somehow. Uh, I was taught that as a child, that we can, we can uh, whatever, whatever you think a grace is, that's a religion word. It doesn't right. have to be a religious idea. It's just goodness. And I, I pray for people and, and for people that are hurting and broken, Mm -hmm. like people in grief, I pray for whatever the, um, wherever there's a root um, pain or brokenness. If somebody, if somebody's trying to move through grief, but they don't feel like they're making any progress, I pray for wherever the spot is, if you can imagine yeah. in this system, is there a place, is there a cell, is there a spot, a thought, is there a place where the knot is. You know how like the Christmas lights, if you don't put them away well, right. it looks like you'll never get this untangled. But then as you do it, you, you, you come upon, suddenly there's a spot in the middle of that big ball where when you got to that, the whole thing just comes apart. Right. I think of it that way, that in, in grief or pain, sometimes there's a little spot that's the worst part of it, that's got where the, the biggest tangle is. So I just pray for that spot. I love that. What I what I try to do to help people is 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 just provide maybe aha moments, light bulb moments, or oh, I never thought of it that way kind of moments. Whether yeah. they, uh, you know, take that or not, but perhaps that one because one was given to me, yeah. and and it changed everything. And if I could provide that for someone else, and it could change them from existing to living and thriving that would be a beautiful gift to give someone yeah and then as you know uh it's always good to be brought out of ourselves by serving others and a broken heart is an open heart um you might not have wanted it broken but once it's broken it's at least open and and it might and the and the broken heart might bring you to a new version of yourself that you'll be grateful for one of these days, if not right now, but oh, for right now, could you, you're, you at least know what suffering is. Could you now, now you have an acquaintance with it in a way you didn't before. Could you help other people? Obviously you have, you've gone on to be an advocate for mothers who lost a child. Is that what you do? Mm -hmm. I, I help people um, kind of graduate from their grief and pain into living with joy again okay good you know when you're when you're ready you know that something is calling you without the guilt holding you back so many people yeah. let guilt hold them back like they feel that that holding on to that pain is holding on to the love yeah what with children uh i've dealt with pe people who who died when their children were young mm -hmm. and who were stuck because they thought 
that their purpose was to raise these children to adulthood. And then when they died suddenly with their children still young, they go, what the hell is this? I thought I was supposed to be this other thing. And they can't readjust. They get so, they get, they got such, such identity from this one human task. It was never their whole job, but I don't have children. So it's me talking to people that right. have children who have children who have died, but we're never only one thing. We, we have, we always have more than one role as comprehensive as being a parent might be. It's still not your only reason for being. And can you, can you perhaps transfer the love that you might have given uh, the child that died? Can you find a way to love other people's kids? Right. You know, I'm a, I, my name is father and I've been a campus minister most of my life. I feel like I put the finishing touches on people who aren't quite full adults. Right. So I've had a quasi parental role in the lives of lots of people for decades. Can you find a way uh, that you can still help the next generation come to maturity? Because that, if that was your task and it still feels like you were robbed of it, can you find a way to transfer that somehow? Can you engage your own deceased child and say, hey, I still love you and I do feel cheated that I didn't get to raise you. So what I'm trying to do is take that energy and find an outlet for it. Would you like to come along? Right. I'm still your mom. Right. Uh, would you like to help me as I help somebody else that sort of needs the love of a mother? Right. Well, that's why I try to tell people sometimes maybe we focus so much on our purpose and instead we should be focusing on living on purpose. Yes. Or we find our purposes. Right. Know, you, right. Even because if for a season, you know, we have seasons in life. It says so in the Bible. Of course. And you raised one child to adulthood, didn't you? Right. Aren't you supposed to kind of become obsolete? Isn't that the job description? Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah I mean, that's what you're supposed to. So I, I really feel like, you know, a lot of parents grieve after their children go and leave the nest. Yes. They put every, their everything into that. And I yes. really think that, you know, we have to go a little bit deeper within ourselves. We're going to lose our children one way or another. You know what I mean? Seriously. Um, and we're going to all die. We're and we're all, all yes. <laughs> We're going to, if, if you've been with loved ones who downsized, right? Uh, li uh, there are lots of downsizes in, in, in life, and a lot of people end up with only medical equipment next to the bed, <laughs> the potty chair, and the, right. the you know, you're, 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 our lives are going to get smaller before they get larger. It's just a pattern. It's just a flow. And uh, surrendering the things of youth and embracing the things as we age. That's all a part of it, but we can do it all with love. We can do it all with love. And I think that we, the more we talk about it, the better off we all are. And so that's why I want to thank you so much for engaging in this conversation with me today. Well, it's been a joy. And if I can be of any help to your listeners, they can find me through my website, my name is Nathan Castle, Father Nathan Castle, but the website is nathan-castle.org. And there's a way to, you know, email me through it or find out more about what I do. Again, and his, yes, because you offer retreats, you, you offer a lot of, of hope and healing for people. I do. And my book is named Afterlife Interrupted. Can, I, can you see yep, that? Absolutely.
helping stock souls crossover. And I also have a video series that just came out that I can make available to people. There's a lot of people unemployed right now. And if you can't afford it, you just email me and tell me so, and I'll send you a coupon that gets you through the, the uh, market thing on the website. You know how we have to go in and right. pay a credit card. There's a way that I can give it to you for free. And then if you can pay me anything, you can just do it as a donation. Okay. So, Wonderful. Well, we'll provide that information in our show notes too. So Father Nathan Castle, thank you very much for spending time with us today. Okay. Enjoy the rest of your day. I'm Sherry Dunleavy, and you've been listening to the Grief Anonymous podcast. For more information on today's guest, the Grief Anonymous program, or the Grief Resource Network, go to griefanonymous.com or griefresourcenetwork.com. For more information on my book, workshops, or talks, go to sherrydunleavy.com. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thanks for listening.